This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, and I put my pants on both legs at the same time. It's just how I do it. You people, you want to put your legs, your pants in your legs? You want you to put your legs in your pants one leg at a time? That's fine. I'm, We're the underachievers. That's right. Yeah. I'm way better than you. <laughs> how With, long did it take you to think of that cold open, Dave? <laughs> I, these things just come to me. With me today are MD, PhD students, Aline Sanduk. Hello. And Miranda Skeen. Hello. And first year student, Nathan Spitz. Howdy. Uh, is rocking the mic like a vandal. Uh, I expected fourth year Levi Endelman to join us for the first time in a while, but shame, 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 shame. Levi, shame. Uh, also in the room today is Andrea Ash uh, from the University of Iowa College of Education, PhD student who's recently done some work uh, yeah. studying uh, step one for a class she's taking. Uh, welcome, Andrea. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, the reason you're here today, the reason Andrea is here today is because we had a listener question from someone who'd like to remain anonymous, uh, but who just sort of set off a whole chain reaction of like, oh, this is okay. So this is what the show is going to be about this week. <laughs> um, they wanted to remain anonymous. I will call them Celebi Jigglypuff. His question is about step one, the first board exam that students take in medical school. So let's play. Uh, that question. I recently was accepted to one of the medical schools that has one year of preclinicals, one year of clinicals, and then they take step one. I know that Iowa also takes step one after the clinical year. Could you guys give your thoughts on if taking step one after clinicals was a benefit? Or was it difficult to relearn for step one the more specific basic science you didn't see on the wards? I would appreciate hearing your experiences on the topic. An excellent question, I think. Um... Um, I will say, in an attempt to actually answer the listener question, I have talked... Is that what we do? Uh, <laughs> sometimes. Oh, okay. Uh, but to kind of address it, I have talked to some M3s who have said that they found the clinical year helpful studying for STEP because it basically personalizes it a bit more, where instead of just mm -hmm. being like, this is what polycythemia vera does, they've probably seen a patient with it and actually like seen what it looks like, so they have a bit more of a better mental image. And I think a lot of the... Is, is it true that a lot of the questions are couched as... A lot of the exam questions are couched as clinical vignettes. Right. Pretty much mm -hmm. all clinical vignettes. Now, the clinical vignette is sometimes not relevant to the question, but mm -hmm. that's a whole other can of worms. Something that, Ouch. that I hadn't appreciated before was that, like, when you do your clinical before studying, somebody had brought up, like, taking the NMBE shelf exams that are in, like, those clinical vignette styles. I mean, yeah. we still get those styles of questions in our preclinical education, et cetera, but I think it's, like, having that clinical year taking shelf exams i think can get you into that good like higher stake test taking kind of mode with those like clinical vignettes so that's something i think that could be a positive of of that but celebi jigglypuff i think you know something that might be helpful just to like look at your schools like 
data in regards to like step scores or if they you know recently transitioned like i know i like ours did a couple of years ago that was something i like looked into was like you know we implemented the new curriculum did step scores change like maybe like a tiny bit the first year and then things like refluctuated like back to i think that's the key to a tiny bit like statistically when they look they did an outcome analysis where they looked at like all these i mean everyone that took the step and the, the difference was like two points. So yeah, like, I think the scores went up like for us, it went up like three or four points and then settled back to, hmm. you know, normal. Yeah. So I think in general, like clinical can be helpful, but it's maybe not the most helpful thing in the universe. So I guess from my perspective, as someone who's also taking it without doing the clinical year, I almost feel like there's benefits to doing the clinical year, but also not really because yeah there is more of a disconnect where it's like all of the basic science learning is going to be a little bit farther away but then so i think that those the benefits and drawbacks kind of balance each other out like i don't really feel too much of a disadvantage taking step now as opposed to after a clinical year so and let's be clear i think the reason we did this was not necessarily to improve or change step scores at all we were doing very well Mm -hmm. and you know we didn't you know that wasn't something that we were especially concerned about our goal in changing to this new not so new curriculum was to uh, give students more time to pursue specialization uh, towards the end of their um, uh, education. Um, So this way they get an extra six months to, you know, maybe take some extra clerkships or um, dive into some teaching or, or things that, you know, there wasn't, there was less time to do before. So the goal wasn't to change. Yeah. Right. Plus just being in clinic is what teaches you how to be a doctor. Like studying in classrooms will help a little bit, but it's not going to actually teach you how to be a doctor. So it's more time doing what's actually important. Mm-hmm. Kylie said uh, uh, that if she were to, if she went back and had to choose to do it again, she would a hundred percent do clinicals before step one. So hmm. um, that's kind of consensus of what I've heard. Is people really liking the clinical experience? Yeah, like mm-hmm. cementing the the basic sciences. Yeah. So anyway, I got this question from uh, from Celebi, and uh, you know, I posted it, and Miranda immediately was like, "I'm going to be on this show." And <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's because Miranda right now is is studying for step. Yes, I am in my dedicated study period. And, so yeah, we get like uh, I have nothing to do but stare at like an Anki deck and U World questions, and it's driving me nuts. So I need mm-hmm. to go talk about it. <laughs> was there like four weeks dedicated? Is that, is, is I get it, eight weeks. Well, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you're depending on your because schedule. Because I'm get more. special. You are special. <laughs> they were like, Miranda, I'm going to give you more time. No, uh, that's actually just because I'm MSTP. And so I get my first 12 week block as designated, designated study. I can't talk. So, so it's, been, it's been a little bit of a moving target, I think, for MSTPs. Yeah. Um, the, just from a, a personal anecdote, I know that the MSTP has been kind of struggling with how to deal with the new curriculum. So that is kind of something to keep in mind for any MSTP applicants out there. But um, I think they've settled into a good routine now where it's like we have our 18 months preclinicals. Then we take time off to take step and then we do our like 12 week clinical block, which I think works really well. So and then you're off to PhD land. For- then I'm, I'm off. I'm leaving you. Goodbye. Um, well, so yeah, so, so, uh, Miranda insists on being on the show because of, you know, I she, because insist. she was, yes, there you was did. There was a spot that was open. There was a spot that was open and she said, I will be on this if we talk about, uh, Celebi's question. Um, and then so out of personal, I know, I don't know why it just felt very, I thought you were going to come on, I thought you were going to come on the show and, and, and just bitch and moan about it constantly. 
What, I haven't? We I haven't know. gotten to that part yet. That's coming up next. <laughs> that's the next segment. And maybe that maybe that's a good segue into uh, into Andrea's uh, yeah. uh, topic because yes. um, Andrea happened to write like the day after. That was good timing. It was excellent really timing. Really good timing. And say that she had been studying this issue yeah. um, for a class and, uh, and had some information that she, and yeah, it was kind of blowing her mind yeah. and she had some information to share. So, yeah. so when we first talked about it, you told me that there's this conversation in medicine about how step one is being used and how it's different from its purpose as a credentialing test. Absolutely. Yeah. So in measurement, the purpose of the test is really important. And like we, as we were talking about before, um, like measure, measurement is about like, what are you measuring? And then what are you doing with that? And that's the big question around step right now, right? Like it's, I, I like before I knew that it was a credentialing test, I just thought it was, you know, for residency selection. I had no idea it was a credentialing test. And that's the problem, right? Is that it was built as a credentialing test and I, I really like to tell you guys more about like why it is built as a credentialing test because I want I want med students to know about this and listen, <laughs> like pre-med students as well like it's important for them to know too so yeah, yeah. and luckily the M for the pre-med students the MCAT is very well constructed for its purpose so <laughs> that okay that's lot. good to hear <laughs> yeah and it makes a nice comparison to think about the differences between the two tests so uh, you you uh, you sent along a little graph as a teaser yeah to get my to get <laughs> my attention sufficiently yeah. teased <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to post, uh, if you don't mind, I forgot to ask you, but if you don't mind, I'm going to post these on our Instagram. Ooh. Um, do you, is that a, can we? I think so. I think it's okay. Can we do that? <laughs> sure. It's up to yeah. you. It's your graph. Yeah, I, I was, think the distribution is helpful. The, and the information does come from the USMLE website. It's, it's, I just put it in a, in a certain format. So we've got this graph here and I'll describe it to you, uh, uh listeners. We've got this graph that, uh, shows some sort of normal distribution. Um, it's skewed a bit to the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretending like I know what I'm talking about. Okay. And, and actual statistics, it's a left skew, which means it, that the tail is going to the left. Yes. Meaning that, uh, the mean is less than the median. And the bump is on the, the bump is on the right more. <laughs> if there was, if there was ever an argument for the written, for like symbology, as opposed to the spoken word, like we're going <laughs> to spend 2000, words to describe a mountain yeah. Yeah. a mountain that lobes a little bit to the right this is actually my other area of research multimodal representations and like how people learn with this i this is good and you, we take so notes. You, lo you lost me with the m in multimodal but anyway <laughs> So this, yeah, this, so this is a, this is a mountain. Um, it, it's a mountain that's higher on the right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, you've got a couple of, you've drawn in a couple of things here. First of all, is the cut score of 194. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, when people take the, the step exam, the, the mean average nowadays is about 230. Um, about two thirds of people are scoring between 209 and 249. So that's the mountain you were talking about. Um, but the place you have to get to to pass the test is only 194, which might seem really low to people that are used to talking about like numbers in the 200s for residency programs. And the other thing about 194 to know is that like across the history of the test between 95 and 100 percent of people have always passed it. So that 194 is at about the fifth percentile. So it is really on the end of that distribution. Yeah. And it's and and uh, what this graph tells me is that this is where the test or what you've said about this graph is that this cut score at one ninety four that's where the test is designed to be accurate. Yes. Okay, I'm so excited to tell you guys about this. Tell us, tell us. So in the measurement world, you know, when you go to create a test, it's not just that you choose the best questions and and give it to people. Um, you have to think about how each question performs. Are you trying to spread applicants apart so that you can discriminate between them? Are you trying to get a lot of um, information about a score at one area to find out how people do in that you know particular score region 
And for a credentialing test like this one, it's, it is really well set up to be a credentialing test. It performs really well for that. So they, they had to have looked at um, their questions and looked at how each question performs. And if you can imagine like a horizontal line, more of this <laughs> imagery, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> with like low ability people on the left, so like they're like scoring lower, and high ability people on the right, um, they would look at each question. They'd take one question and say, like, um, how do people do on this question? Where are high ability people scoring? Where are low ability people scoring? And then they'd say, like, okay, it discriminates between, like, medium to high ability people, for example. So when they created this credentialing test, like, because credentialing was their priority, they wanted the most amount of information about the examinees at that cut score of 194. So they would have picked questions. I, I don't know this for sure. I'm imagining because credentialing test, you know, if they could share this information, that'd be great. Very proprietary. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, and, and it shouldn't be is the thing. Like in the measurement standards that they also adhere to, this is yeah. supposed to be transparent. So medical students and residency directors have every right to ask for that information. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so at 194, they would have picked those questions that discriminated the most at that lower end of the ability score scale but that means that they wouldn't have as good of a discrimination ability as in like choosing you know is this score person is this person is this examinee really different than this examinee at those higher ends of the score scale and there's a couple different numbers that you can use to tell how good at discriminating it is those are the numbers i'd really like to see from uh, the people especially because as we see in the graphic most people are scoring at that higher end so for example um uh, we've talked about a standard error of measurement. It's it's one of those numbers that tells you like how much your score might, uh, how different your score is from like your true ability. Um, on this test, it's about like eight below or eight above of uh, six to eight points below or above where you actually score. But that number can change depending on where you're at in the score scale. So for a credentialing test, they have to make it lowest at the cut score. So it's most mm -hmm. accurate at 194, but um, I have actually emailed them and they very were very wonderful and polite, but they did not. They declined to give me that information. <laughs> uh, so I hope you ask for it. <laughs> okay. I love I love this just very subtle and slight shade we're just throwing. It's like, hey, I mean, USMLE. They've done great work on the, t I mean, they've done like all their test writing, like their question writing things. Um, they have like really great guidance for that. And I think they've done a lot of amazing work. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that if I'm understanding this correctly, you're saying that there is a difference of about 16, at some points on the graph, there are a difference of maybe 16 points. Um, yep. Or, or there, the 16 points is basically, the in some parts of the graph, the minimum that you need to distinguish between two applicants so in there, a reliable, statistically reliable way. Um, um, I, I, there's two ways you could go with that. I think the, the one that's closest to what you're saying, on their website, they say that the to, in order to show a statistically significant, meaningful difference between two people's content knowledge, they have to be 16 points apart in the score scale. That's so much. <laughs> that's a really wide gap. Well, I mean, if you look at the um, average scores of students accepted to residency published by the AMC, um, the difference between family medicine, the, the difference in U.S. allopathic seniors um, between family medicine, the family medicine average, and the surgery average is 16 points. Um, it, which, I don't know, gets to the next part of the, which gets to the problem of this test, which is that residency programs are not necessarily using it as a credentialing test. Exactly. Absolutely. They're using it for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And Actually, I would Which like is to, to I, I, for I, I, ranking. Okay. They're ranking yeah, they're applicants, ranking. basically. They're they're establishing their own um, 
cutoffs. Cutoffs or... in a way. I mean, that's not the not, not the right word because they're probably the, no. these are averages. I think for a lot of things it is. Like there's some residencies where it's like if you don't have a score of like two thirty or above, they won't even look at your application, which right. is obviously yeah. that's like forty points above where you actually need it to pass. Right. So I was gonna say <laughs> if I understand Andrew correctly. At like 194, 195, which is the actual cutoff, that is, that's the range of scores where you have the greatest accuracy in discriminating between able students, like more yes. qualified and less qualified. But as you move high, so basically the higher you score on the test, the less it really matters. Exactly. Between those scores. And again, I don't know that for sure because they haven't published that information, sure. um, which it's just it's really it's I, I feel like that meme where there's like someone trying to like with like all the information in the background with like the lines and the photos and like it's all oh pasted God. up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, like yeah, a yeah, confused yeah. woman and there's like yes. triggering them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love that one. Yes. No, I really I, it's crazy because when I you know, I've been like just digging through the literature about this and like what you just said isn't. A, a part of like the whole I mean it's just kind of glanced over a lot of people in the literature people are most worried with um something called uh, well it, it with does it predict some kind of um future success in residency and should we go to pass fail and neither of those things to me seem at the at the root of like what you just said that the test mm -hmm. just doesn't do what people think it does yeah <laughs> actually this may be more a, a better a better thing to uh, to say about these allopathic senior averages um, so that so if for emergency medicine, say, right, uh, the unmatched average is 220 and the matched average is 233. So, again, within that oh, wow. um, within that 16. Sorry, Dave, can you repeat that? Yeah. So for the emergency medicine uh, specialty, the average unmatched oh. senior gets is has a 220 step score and the average matched senior has a 233. So it's within that 16 points that that Andrew thinks might be important and I, I do want to say that you know when pe people all the time with tests they will use them in, in kind of funny ways you know like for example colleges put um, cutoffs for ACT scores that that might not be indicated um, but this is a little bit different in that the test wasn't created for that purpose. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. It's interesting it's like, that definitely. ophthalmology is not on this list. That I can see. That's they like have, they no have a separate. They have oh, like a separate. They have their separate it, match. Correct. That's right. It's I forgot about MRP. that. Oh. But like dermatology, let's see. The difference between unmatched and matched is two forty one. Is unmatched two forty nine is matched. <laughs> significant because you're discriminating between applicants based on a metric that really has no mm -hmm. meaningful value in terms of like determining who is more capable or less capable of that and like matches affect people's lives in very profound ways That's yeah right. determines where they can live whether or not they can bring their spouses with them where they raise, raise their families I mean, mm -hmm. yeah and depending on if you're looking at you know one of the specialties that you pick because it has good lifestyle factors if you don't match with that you could have to basically uproot the whole way you live your life obviously i'm being a bit dramatic here but it i think that there is that significant factor That's real. yeah or people who go to medical school to like pursue a specific like specialty and yeah. then if your steps you know and one thing i think we haven't said yet is if you pass step one and you don't get a score you like you can't retake it and that's, you are that's a good point actually you can yeah. retake it if you don't pass but if you pass it that's the last time you can take it i have read of people online 
like in real time deciding to throw the exam because they're figuring out that they can't get the score that they <gasps> want. So they intentionally flunk it so mm-hmm. that they can take it again to get the score they really oh want. Oh my gosh. Okay. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's a, maybe it's an urban legend, but no, I have read of people I can get in trouble. Like if you, if you have yeah. like, yeah. An ex- yeah, a lot of people have like anxiety attacks or panic attacks. Yeah. And if this happens like just before your test or during, like this obviously is not like reflective. Yeah. Of I mean, your I'm, just, yeah. I'm just getting over then. like a cold. And I felt like the last two days I was in just fatigue. Yeah. I was walking through a cloud basically. And it's like if, God forbid I'm like this during my actual exam because it could just like one bad day and my whole life goes down the toilet. So, you know, something else we haven't mentioned is uh, how much people um, tie in their specialty with their identity as Mm -hmm. a person. Mm -hmm. And so like a lot of people come to med school. Like I've heard a lot of people say not just like I want to be a doctor, but like I've always dreamt of being a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And like I have never seen people react more hostily than when you question their identity or like when pillars of their identity Mm -hmm. are you know compromised and like if someone were to be you know were to go for a specialty and they don't match based on this metric and it like kind of ruins their lives for some people you know it dashes their dreams so Mm -hmm. well i think the thing also to remember is you know when we look at these charts we're looking we are looking at averages there are a range and different institutions have different ranges and different averages so just like with mcats it's important not to give up hope if you don't hit yes these metrics Mm -hmm. you know i mean these tests do not define you they don't they don't don't define you and and you know if if you if you remain unmatched um it may be because you didn't get the uh this uh, you didn't hit the score that the institutions you applied to wanted you to have it may also be that it's just a numbers game um and you know the number of positions available versus the number of applicants didn't you know didn't break your way um nathan and i were were talking before this about how um like people if you keep scrolling down on those um pieces of like those charts that the national match residence program like puts out you can see that in i mean go down to the specialty you want to enter and see how the people at every score level are still getting in even at the mm-hmm. very bottom and if it looks like not that many people are applying from those bottom score levels you know like there's tons of people from 230 and 240 and no one from 200 just remember that that's also the distribution of the actual test like mm-hmm. less people are getting right. 200s and more people are getting 230s yeah but that being said i think it's also important to note that you know your residency score is one of the number one things that or excuse me, your step score is one of the number one things that they look at. Like actually we just had a briefing on this during our transition to clinics week last week and they were talking about, okay, what are the factors that residencies look at? And the top two were your step score and your evaluations from clinical. And so, I mean, so there is something to be said about that. Residencies are putting a lot of weight on a score that, like you said, is not very predictive of actual clinical goodness. I don't know. That sentence got away from me, but <laughs> actual clinical goodness. Actual clinical goodness. That is. Well, a, I, th- I think Andrea can confirm that that's an actual statistical ACG. measure. Yes. yes. They- <laughs> <laughs> I would say that most of the research I looked at had to do with predicting clinical skills in the future based on that. And um, okay, so there's a 2011 article that was like really started a firestorm back in yes. 2011. I mean, this has been going on for a while, right? Um, Oh my God, um, that was almost 10 years ago. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just flatlined after doing the math. Yeah. Yeah. 21 was just a couple of years. No, it was not a couple of years ago. Yep, exactly. 
um, yeah, McGahee and colleagues. And um, they were the first people to like come out with this. Well, not the first, but um, like I said, it was significant. They uh, were able to show from a review that the only thing it matches with, as you had said, was um, that it, it shows some good multiple choice some correlation with multiple choice questions tests in the future um but when they looked at things like okay i don't know the medical terms but like inserting certain things and taking out certain things that's and- okay that's where we are at this point yeah. so your acg your actual clinical your, your goodness, actual clinical goodness. <laughs> right. um there is a very you know it doesn't predict that which makes sense because it's, it's a multiple choice test versus like clinical skills yeah. but when you think about what kind of people do you want in your residency and those i i mean i would really like to see the conversation going that way like just thinking about what do we want from our residents and how can we look for that in applicants Mm -hmm. and there should i think it should be said at some point that like 90 percent i even yeah i'm gonna go so i would say 90 percent of the information that you're learning for step you're never ever going to use again like not only because you're like step one is obviously like multidisciplinary goes across like all the different you know goes across hematology it goes across msk all that stuff but also just because it's very detail oriented like you're expected to know like the mechanisms of every drug you're expected to know like you know the tca cycle and all of this different stuff that you will pretty much never ever use again yeah except and i am again i everybody uh, listening to this should know that i'm not a doctor or a med student or anything (laughs) approaching either i'm not i'm not a college of education phd i am nobody okay (laughs) but you are to me you are to me thank you (laughs) but uh my thought is that while you won't use this on a daily or maybe even yearly basis, knowing that there is a Krebs cycle yeah, yeah, could be important at some point so that you can go, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong with this Krebs cycle over here and we need to you know, look at that. Um, I understand that. And I also understand the need to make the test difficult. Like, I definitely do think that I mean, it's a, I wonder about that. Yeah. Well, OK. I personally not being well tell me why 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 is that I just think it's because I think because medicine has a big societal like gravitas that's not really the right word but like it has a lot of societal Mm -hmm. respect I think that there is something to be said for making it difficult to get earn that respect yeah like making like making an actual hurdle that you have to go across and that is interesting is that the step one though like is that the best place for it like what about the mcat or the seven percent acceptance rate nationwide for medical schools yeah see (laughs) this is the question as well Um, another um, sure. this blew my mind. So in measurement, when you um, you do this thing called standard setting to figure out like where should that cut score be? And again, because they've done an amazing job with a credentialing test, they do that every three to four years. They use a really good procedure for it. Um, so when they have doctors um, look at this and look, take some t- some of the test questions and decide like where should that cut score be? Outside the world of the of medicine, um, people usually um, way like they think you should be doing way better than you should. Like they have to, after seeing how people actually do, they have to bring the cut score down. Like if you were to take an eighth grade math test and tell them where the cut score should be, you would like, they wouldn't be able to pass the cut score that you put out, you know, like 80% wouldn't pass it. Um, In this case, the doctors who took it put the cut score so low that virtually everybody was passing the test. Um, And after they saw the scores of actual med students, they had to raise it up. 
Uh, so it really makes you think about. <laughs> oh wow, the it's unusual. I, I just realized mm-hmm. the implication is that like veteran physicians don't know that much more than, mm-hmm. or like are, you know are as insecure maybe about their knowledge. Absolutely, they don't know yeah. as much, and um, that again, like it's unusual when you compare it to other standard setting <laughs> tests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah, kind of makes sense of like what Miranda was saying though. Like if somebody specializes, for example, in dermatology, the odds that they like look back at ophthalmology like information etc is yeah yeah pretty low yeah and like again i also see where there should be a pretty broad understanding at this point like i think it's important that doctors do have that broad knowledge base but i don't know necessarily if this is the best way to go about it or especially if having that numerical ranking score is the best way to go about it like like honestly, I think step one as an exam, like you said, is pretty good. But I'm I'm personally an advocate for maybe not putting so much weight on the num the numerical score for all the reasons we've just said because it's not really a test of how good are you going to be as a doctor. It's a test of how much random information can you cram in your brain. <laughs> well, and there's an implication for cost uh, for medical school too. Yes. Uh-huh. Which um, so for instance, uh, step one, which we you know we've talked about many times, cost a ton of money. Um, to take mm-hmm. um, the prep materials to prepare, to prepare to, for, uh, yeah. And yeah. Sometimes Step you have to one, travel prep for it. It's a racket. I'm just going to say this right <laughs> yep. now, gang. Yeah. It is a, a racket. <laughs> Which maybe Andrea can speak to, you know, as someone who studies the test and then the materials used to prepare for I, the test. I'm, I'm just, uh, I mean, it, it, yeah, the literature, like you guys say this anecdotally because you know it, but yeah, absolutely that's reflected in the literature too. I mean, like, I was really shocked to see that in one study they asked the average number of people, uh, sorry, the average number of hours that people would study during that set aside step time was 11 hours a day. I mean, it just blows my mind. And <laughs> see, Aline's no, like, Aline's like I did not do that. Oh, yeah, I'm being like, I'm lucky if I can get eight hours I before my imagine. brain fries. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. But also, I'm a little bit bewildered, to be honest, because like, there's a lot of things that just seem really odd about this, like looking from the outside. That's yeah. a high societal cost, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. um, these types of uh, so board exams uh, also not, maybe not so much this one. Um, but step two uh, has created whole departments in medical school dedicated to teaching students how to take them and what they will experience and basically passing that test. So, you know, we've, the, you know, this external force created step two um, and, you know, the rest of the world had to be like, well, I guess that's now a thing. And so they we came up with the um, uh, what we call the assessment program. The clinical assessment program here um, that has three full-time people working for it along with um, all of the uh, patient trainers and uh, simulated patients Um, that's an expense you know that's money um, that students end up paying and if to the to the extent that medicine is a is a diverse the extent to which medicine is has a diverse population of practitioners is affected by that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. if you can't afford medical school be, because of all of the, you know, the different tests uh, that have been created and, and uh, you know, well-meaning, I'm, you know, I don't doubt that these were well-meaning ideas when they created these tests, yeah. but it does have an impact on who can do medicine. And also, like Aline was saying earlier, when you tie your specialties so close to 
um, your identity and then your step score has a direct impact on your specialty that translates into like the whole step one industry is like they play off of that paranoia so hard I can't even tell you the number of Kaplan ads that were scrolling across my Facebook when I was starting to research this and like you know a bunch Pretty much every question bank I've ever seen costs like upwards of $200. Like UWorld costs like, yeah. UWorld costs like $200 for a month of um, access. We need NPR to do like some kind of investigative journalism about like, <laughs> does funding from Kaplan impact? <laughs> I, can see yeah. I, I can see this, yeah. But it's just, because it, they just play off of that like, hey, if you spend $300 on our bank, then you'll get that orthopedic surgery. I don't mean to bash orthopedic it's, surgeons. They're just so easy to. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like the mob. They're like, you want that residency? We can help you out. <laughs> just, go, just pay up. It's kind of not wrong. I was yeah. like scrolling through and like I found like the MCAT things for like the pre-med listeners. Like now there are like boot camps where you can pay like $10,000 and do like a six week intensive like. And I mean, they do score better on average than like other applicants but like this is to like we were talking about just like totally stratifying like yeah. Yeah. the people who can afford to do this to get yeah, better yeah i once got a uh, i once got a uh, sponsorship request from uh <laughs> no <laughs> yeah from no. from a from a uh, uh an east coast medical school that starts with an h about their um about their uh post back program um Re- it was like 10 grand which is high for jeez. We have talked about postback post-back programs, uh, and I have so many feelings about it. But maybe that's a subject for another episode. But yeah, we've ta- we've talked about postback programs yeah. on the show before. Is but like that's a- part of it. Like like oh, I got to get into med school. I have to be you know, I have to go to H school for uh, <laughs> for for postback in order to get the the most prestigious blah 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 blah. Yeah. blah. Well, here's the other thing. What we have determined on the show is that though well informally not as experts but like the post back programs that are worth investing in are the ones that end in uh, a guaranteed interview at a med school like mm-hmm. otherwise you're really just paying to take classes you could take at a community college and do perfectly well in and then transfer those in but yeah uh, andrea one of the things that caught my eye in your initial email mm. aside from this graph <laughs> So you also told me there was some juicy gossip oh, yeah. in the discussion oh you've God. been tracking. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I love me some Ooh. testing and measurement gossip. Who doesn't? Okay. Spill I got that really tea. scared yeah. when that voice yeah. started. I won't lie. I'm like, where is he going with this? Spill the tea, Andrea. Yeah. Spill okay. the tea. Okay. Piping. Here's the motherfucking tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that what the kids are saying these days? Yeah, spill the tea. It was beans when I was a kid. I got. I was looking on the internet, and I believe that this is still a relevant meme. Give five stars if this is still a relevant meme. Uh, Yes, thank you. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Well, you guys might be completely aware of this. The conversation that was going on in the, I think it's the, um, uh, like the American, like academic medicine, that's what it's called, Mm -hmm. that journal, um, in 2019, um, about step scores and like the step one climate, as it's called. So are you familiar with this conversation a little bit? There's some inflammatory things that were said. um, Mm -hmm. And again, you know, here I am, a researcher going along, reading these very dry academic journals. Minding your own business. (laughs) Yeah. And then just trying to do like educational things. (laughs) Trying to get your PhD. (laughs) Yeah. And these crazy things are popping out of me. So early in 2019, um, the two directors of the, the two organizations that like form the USMLE, um, is it like the National Board of Medical Medical. Examiners and then the the state version of that, 
uh, those two leaders um, were talking about why it might be good to encourage motivating students by um, uh, keeping the regular scoring for the step one rather than a pass fail. And they said if students were to devote more time to activities that make them less prepared to provide quality care, such as binge watching the most recent Netflix series or compulsively updating their Instagram account. This could negatively impact residency performance and ultimately patient safety. Inserts the level of hatred yeah. in the room just went up like yeah. tenfold. Inserts like, eye rolls. And these are the two. I mean, these are the leaders of the licensing. That is, yeah. it sounds I like mean, hazing. Like we can't let them enjoy their lives at all. Otherwise, I know, I know, they'll be bad exactly. at their job. It's like they can't. They can't relax. Yeah. How dare they? And why do this they is technically these? a true statement. Like if we. You know, it, it is true to say that, you know, if <laughs> if med students do nothing other than uh, do, if, if med students devote too much time to fun things, then they will be horrible doctors. I mean, that's but, technically yeah, but a true statement. No, but is that true? No, but it is not true is because it, yeah. that is not what med students do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's also not true just because like the kind of culture of step one prep is to do like, you know, 12 hours of studying a day, like wake up, study, sleep. And that's not very healthy. Like, there is it doesn't not, work well for your I brain. I think the program directors might tell you that if you weren't studying so much for step one, like you might be like able to like, invest more time in your clinicals and mm. in exactly. Your or, exactly. Or, or crazy we, talk, yeah. you might be able to invest more time in becoming a well-rounded human being. <laughs> Uh, crazy talk be there for your infant kids or yeah. your oh my gosh shocker Mike, Mike have a have, <laughs> have a productive or interesting hobby you know yeah. like I mean these it, are all yeah. important things this comment is so obviously like I I, I mean listen touch. I, it's so out of yeah, touch I am that medical student that like I do binge stuff honestly like I am that medical like student that's person? like I'm not gonna study mm -hmm. this weekend I'm gonna just like, that's watch your everything. right yes. yeah if that's how and you like, relax and like I am probably like the people that I hang out with daily are the people that are like constantly studying constantly in the library and I'm like w what medical students have you been hanging out with where it's like if if step one goes past fail then they're all just going to become lazy bums I mean like, I guess yeah. they would argue been though hanging that, out with well I guess yeah. their argument is well if it weren't for us if it weren't for us medical students would be morons Before you move on, the other thing I wanted to point out about how stupid that comment is, is like, why are they assuming that with free time we would do stuff like that? Not that there's anything wrong with those activities, but like in this climate, this consumer culture, the other thing I realized is like, I keep getting the message that stuff I do on my own time that doesn't make money is useless. And yeah. that makes me so like, what happened to doing something for the pure enjoyment, which feeds your soul, maybe doesn't put dollars in your bank account. Yeah. You know, I've been noticing, Aline, that you are uh, contributing less to society lately <laughs> by not making money. I am such a waste of space. My, I know, I know. My control panel of how much money you've been contributing to the world says that it's down 20%. Uh, okay, so yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a great point. Um, just to point out, I do have to say that um, they did, those two leaders did uh, redact that statement and issue a short apology, but... Um. <laughs> right. Can we yeah. ask what the, like, what platform, was that like a private email? No, or? no, no, no. This is a published, this was in 2019 by Katsu Fraskis and Chaudhry in Academic Medicine. Um, you can look it up. And if you want, by the way, a lot of the research I'm looking at has been um, at least alluded to on the, on USMLE's website. So you can mm -hmm. go there. 
there directly to see it. Also, I believe that Steve Lentz, our MSTP director, posted this on his Twitter with like a bunch of angry emojis because (laughs) Steve Lentz is a very big advocate of going to pass fail for step one. Oh, interesting. Um, Here's okay. So to go back to another example, you know, so this is published in 2013, um, right after there were some changes made in the step one test. They for one thing they did is to try to make it more application based rather than just um, testing knowledge. Um, but it it just boggles my mind how much they still um, like rather than seeing the outcomes of like how students were preparing for the test as like an outcome of how they created the test. They still place the blame on individual students and made it about something the students need to change. Um, so they're talking about the ways um, like when they looked at the old version of the test, it identified unintended consequences of the current exam program as examples. Um, many medical students prepared for step one with a binge and purge mentality. Because students failed to recognize the value of the basic sciences in medical practice, many memorized information for short-term retention. And then they further uh, really undermine students by saying, um, our plan changes to emphasize basic students strive to change this mentality by reinforcing a physician's ability to, pro- to apply foundational science in patient care through USMLE. So we are going to help students recognize this value by changing the test. This is something I don't understand when lecturers say like, oh, don't memorize things. Just just know it or just understand it. Like, what do you? Hey, yeah, what do you mean by that? Don't be afraid of this bat that I'm literally waving in your face and I'm about to beat you over the The head. beatings uh-huh. will continue until morale. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's, That's such, un- 2013. Yeah. That's a really that good wasn't summary. that long ago. That's not wasn't that long ago. I know. And it's also just kind of may I just say, as an admittedly biased person, that's also just not very realistic. Like the volume of information, like I have my first aid book behind me, or I guess it's in my backpack. But it's basically it's a novel. It's a novel length, and everything on there is testable information. So it's all technically stuff that you should be able to like memorize and retain. There's not really enough room because a lot of it is like very minute information like this antibiotic inhibits the six, the 50S subunit under the ribosome versus the 30S. And there's just like eventually that stuff's going to leave my brain. Like well, if I don't because it's not always and I understand the like their desire to be like, well, yeah, this stuff can be used in clinical practice like it should be. But if I'm not using that every day, it's just not going to stay in my brain. Like I'm not going to just, you know, hold on to it and then release it. I'm not willingly relinquishing this information. It's just I'm not using it daily. So it's never going to stick. Well, also isn't I mean, I could be I could be wrong here, but isn't memorization uh, maybe the first step in learning concepts and things like that? I mean, you know, like to say, don't memorize this, right. but learn it. <laughs> right. I, I, well, like, yeah. I mean, they are different. Again, I know to memorize. Yeah. 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 Um, well, what I was going to say is if you understand it, you don't have to memorize anything. Yeah. And yeah. no one here is stupid. If you just take the time to simplify the information, then we don't have to memorize anything. And then we'll actually be able to use it on the wards as they intend for us to. So I was also curious, so. you've taken, Aline, you've taken the test before, right? So did it, mm-hmm. was it application based? Did it feel like you were applying knowledge? Um, so I wanted to come back to something Miranda said, which I thought was really apt, is that all, all of the questions are vignette based. But one of the best test taking tips that I ever got is first look at the answers Mm -hmm. to figure out what are you going after? Is it drug information? Is it mechanism? Is it, you know, a clinical symptom? So look at those to figure out the category of, you know, what you're looking to answer. And then 
look at the very last sentence. What is the actual question? Because sometimes you'll waste two minutes reading a vignette, and this is the worst thing that. And you, oh. uh, listeners, yeah, okay, Miranda uh, knows what I'm talking. I about. I know. I was gonna say it's like, are you talking about yeah. the questions? Because I actually very recently had this betrayal experience where I was reading a question and I felt really confident, like, ooh, that's a hallmark symptom of this and this diagnosis. And it's like halfway through, I'm like, I know what this diagnosis is. And the last sentence, the diagnosis is this. What medication? Yeah. You're like, <laughs> like <"Whoa>! you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> you I had you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like just the, the heartbreak that you feel when it's like, yeah. I know it. They told you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You spend all this energy doing what you're supposed to do. And then they just give the information away. And then you're like, so what do you want from my life? What do you, what do you want from me? <laughs> yeah. Or, or like, actually, they'll sometimes do that and be like, you know, the diagnosis is this. This is a fault in which, like, you know, biochemical pathway. And it's like, well, good. I didn't need to know any of that information that yeah. they had a fever and chills. Like, great. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, we actually have a lot of faculty here that have been hired as test uh, question writers, and mm -hmm. which is awesome. That means that they're getting actual experts to write these clinical vignettes. Absolutely. The problem, though, is that that means that to succeed on these tests, you have to have the level of expertise as a career microbiologist or a career <laughs> pharmacologist. Yeah. yeah. Of course, they... Well, hopefully they're I compensating for that, but... It must they be. rigorously test these yeah. you know, questions over and over, but still, like, they're not being written by physicians working in the clinic. They're being written by hardcore basic scientists who do this every day. So and the bread and butter is these details. Yeah. You know? yeah. Which is a good point that they're not necessarily being written by, you know, physicians. They're probably, they might be being written by PhDs who, like, are great. That's good information to have, but it's also like, you know... It's a lot of physicians, um, yeah. but they do have a they do have a I mean, they are very careful about making sure that the people who write the questions and vet them are are intimately related to the topic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. OK. Mm -hmm. All right. That's nice of them. I'll give you that one. I know, we, need to, like, we need to build them up for the things that I mean, they've done a really nice job with that aspect. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> that was a, an extremely long way of answering your question. That, yes, it, it is <laughs> vignette, <laughs> best, vignette based. Yeah. Yeah. Little vignette based. Mostly. For the most part. Yeah. yeah. Have but, you exhausted your gossip? Ugh. Please know. say no. <laughs> I want more uh, well, testing okay. and measurement gossip. Well, we were, I don't know, I don't know. I, so I think one thing that's a little bit, this is very speculative, but um, the Spe idea hey, that... The, that's what we do. That's what we do. Speculate away. I'm, I'm, you know, one of the things that just confuses me a little bit is like, I can tell by reading the literature that something is going on behind the scenes because the, like, the people who are, um, are part of the National Board of Medical Examiners and the USMLE have changed the way that they react to this ongoing conversation in the last like five to ten years and so i i wonder if i put it out there if you guys have any ideas um uh back in uh like 2011 2013 um uh when that article came out that said like this is uh using the usmle scores in this way is completely well here's what they said using usmle scores to screen and or censors applicants is wholly unfair and seemingly without validity um, and this is a former residency program director and associate dean talking um, with their article. McGehee and colleagues have finally proved the lack of validity for this practice. That was in 2011. So at that time, the writers of the test, the, some of the creators of this test wrote back and, and they, they basically said yes. And I mean, they were open to it. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they said, yeah, um, uh, we need more standardized tools for residency selection and, quote, until this goal is achieved, users of USMLE scores need to clearly understand the limitations. Um, oh, my God. They yes-handed the shit out of that first yeah. statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. yes and they're they're over moreover yeah absolutely wow. So I think wow. that puts the onus kind of on these program directors and not yeah, us because we does. have no say in like how in it's, it's if we yeah. went past kind of true yeah if we if we went past fail like there is almost no objectivity that's correct in like the selection process which is like and biases would increase and you that statement that you had about how it, the the onus is on the users of the test those residency program directors that is backed up by the entire. Like the APA, the right, like the standards in the American Psychological Association, mm-hmm. um, that the res, and that's why you know I I really encourage listeners and everyone to to talk to their residency directors and um, do a little bit of investigation into what a credentialing test looks like, mm-hmm. and 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 ask for those you know the standard error of measurement at those certain points in the score scale. There's a lot of that stuff. That's interesting. It sounds to me like Andrea is saying that you need to rise up. Yeah, <laughs> and fight the man. Pitchforks right, and guys. torches ablaze. Here we go. Yeah. I happen to have some torches right over here. I have a Molotov. Oh my gosh, he's right. juggling them. <laughs> my leg, Andrea. I really want to. Oh God, the fire! The fire! Uh, the flames! <laughs> Andrea, I really want to um, thank you for letting me know about your your work yeah. and, and agreeing to come on the show. It's been a really interesting yes, discussion. Yes, so thank fun. You. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you so, so much, much for coming on. Yeah. And and uh, Celebi Jigglypuff, thanks for uh, setting us off on this uh, on this. Uh, thank you for kicking journey. us down the rabbit hole. Uh, appreciate keep, keep that. Gaming. Keep gaming, Jiggly. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you got what you needed from us, but you know, we had a good time. Uh, if you have a question that we can help you with, uh, be it about medical school, pre-medical endeavors, your romantic problems, call 347-SHORT-CT or email the shortcodes at gmail.com. And we will talk about it on the show. Andrea, thanks very much. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, yeah, as usual, I underestimated how long we would talk was about. a whole hour. I love it. a lot, yeah. I love it. Oh, wait, did you have other topics planned? I did, but... <laughs> oh, sorry. Nope, we're not talking about those. A, oh, wait, you're not playing the long. outro? Well, I, well I'm, not, I'm not done. Put your headphones back oh, on. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I didn't get the green light when we were finished. <laughs> I have mandatory class at one. Oh, oh right on, one. right on. All right, Sorry, see, that's why we're losing, we're losing Nathan. That's fine. That's okay, fine. that's fine. We're Sorry. bleeding people. That is our show. We're people, oh no. Aline, Miranda, uh, Nathan, Andrea, thank you for being my co-host today. Thank You're welcome. You. And of course, thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or wherever else fine podcasts are available. We're there. Uh, Shortcoats, please visit the shortcoat.com slash store to buy some stickers. Proceeds benefiting the Patient Advocate Foundation. And I remind you that uh, your questions are vital to the show because they mean the show can be about what you want it to be about. Uh, as I said, the shortcoats at gmail.com, 347-SHORT-CT, both great ways to get in touch. Um... And uh, the 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 wait, where, where's and the rest Dave of it? Has forgotten. The show is made script. possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government, an ongoing sport from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Good job. Good job.